grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. During our reading today from Acts chapter 2, we see the massive growth of that first Christian church, the church in Jerusalem. In one day, as we had just read, it went from earlier in Acts chapter 1, we see there were about 120 believers in Jesus uh, up to this day of Pentecost. And then on that day, about 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus as their Savior and were baptized. And so not only was this the first Christian church, but it also very quickly became the first Christian megachurch, a term that we use to refer to church that may have uh, several hundreds or even thousands of members. And all this followed from that searching question that the people in, in, in true honesty and sincerity after hearing Peter's preaching of God's law to them, asking Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? What should we do to be saved? That question is still being asked today, perhaps more than we might realize. We who have been in the church for a long time, maybe we don't sense the, the questions that others have about what we so very often take for granted as long-time believers, whether it's the visitor in our worship service, the friend or neighbor who was brought by one of you today, the prospective member who was just starting our Bible information class, considering whether or not to become a member of our church and learning more about what the Bible teaches and what the message of Christianity is. Also, many children uh, within our church might wonder, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to join a church or to join this church? What am I expected to do next? What am I getting myself into? For some, the, the wondering, the questions are so complex and might seem so intimidating that they proceed no further. For most, it probably depends on what they hear from us and what they see in us. But increasingly in our society, there are Numerous Americans who say that they believe in Jesus, but they are not connected to any particular church. Although between 60 to 70 percent of Americans say they are Christian, which already is a drastic decline from just a, a couple few decades ago, still less than half of Americans say they are members of a church, and even a smaller percentage than that, only about 40 percent, say they attend a worship service at, at a church at least somewhat regularly, around once a month or more. In surveys, people list the major reasons why they are inactive in a church. They say things like this, churches have lost their spiritual role and are too concerned with institutional and financial issues. They say individuals must arrive at their own beliefs. They say too many churches are not effective in helping people find meaning in life. Churches are not concerned enough with social needs. Churches are not warm and accepting of visitors. And church rules about morality are too restrictive. Such people tend to see church as an imperfect human organization. And for them, any loyalty or involvement is out of the question. On the other side of the coin, are those who desire church membership perhaps primarily for uh, expressions of human love that they receive when, when they're here interacting with other people, for a feeling of acceptance and, and recognition from others. 
They seek a caring congregation that will meet their personal or family felt needs and make them feel that they belong. Many may not be certain of their own salvation, or perhaps they don't think of Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. Perhaps some of both of these types of people are here in our church this morning. And probably very likely, we all have had one or more of these feelings at at different times in our lives, at least in part. A great concern is whether our witness to each other and to non-members, to the, the society and communities around us, is as clear as it should be. Whether we really answer the question of their heart, what should we do? How can we be saved in our relationship to Jesus and to the church? On that Pentecost day, Peter, uh, who became the spokesperson for the apostles, had addressed the crowd in Jerusalem, assuring them that God the Father had testified repeatedly that Jesus is the Savior that God had promised to send. And God made that testimony through the miraculous signs and wonders that he gave Jesus the ability to do. God the Father did that by, on multiple occasions, speaking with his own voice from heaven, testifying that this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And ultimately, God the Father testified that Jesus is the Savior by raising Jesus from the dead. But Peter points out that a tragedy had occurred. While God had clearly testified that Jesus is the Savior that God had promised for thousands of years to send to rescue his people, Tragically, God's own chosen people had killed their own Messiah that they had been waiting for thousands of years for God to send to them. And although they, they may not have done that directly by pounding the nails through his hands and feet, nailing him to the cross, yet they were the ones who were there in a crowd calling, demanding the Roman governor Pontius Pilate to crucify Jesus, refusing to allow Pilate to release Jesus because he recognized that Jesus had not done anything worthy of death. And he demanded that he be crucified. And so in a bold declaration in verse 36 of our reading, Peter accused that crowd of people there in Jerusalem. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter calls Jesus the ineffable Lord, identifying Jesus with that Title, that name, Lord, that the Jews used at that time in place of the holy name of God, which they didn't dare to speak out of awe and reverence for God and for his name. The name of the Lord God who spoke to Moses 1,500 years before that time from the burning bush and who identified himself as I am who I am. The people had rejected Jesus as the king of the Jews. But Peter says that Jesus is more than just the king of the Jews, which he is. But he is also the king of all people, the king of the entire universe. Think about Peter's boldness in proclaiming that message. Considering just several weeks earlier, out of great fear for his own personal safety and life, Peter had multiple times denied that he even knew Jesus the miraculous things, the amazing change that had come over Peter because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Peter knows that examining one's personal relationship with Jesus is of primary 
important. So that is the message that he proclaims to that crowd of thousands of people in Jerusalem on that day. Perhaps we might hesitate to address the way our acquaintances or friends or family members might profane or or disregard what God calls as holy and good in his son Jesus. When we do that, when we avoid uh, bringing up those issues, when we avoid witnessing to them and testifying to them about the good news of Jesus, we actually assist them in delaying their response to Jesus. They might feel, because of our silence, that they have nothing to examine in their hearts and minds. People's response to Peter's preaching that day was remorse over what they had done. Luke, the doctor, the writer of this book of Acts, describes a spiritual surgery performed by Peter's preaching of God's law that day. We read in verse 37. Now when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were responsible for piercing Jesus on Good Friday. And now their hearts were pierced by the guilt of what they had done. The response was more than just hurt feelings. They were crushed, realizing their total spiritual inability to help and save themselves. We are only on the road to spiritual well-being when our sin, our profane ways, our resistance to God and his will is properly diagnosed. Only when we see no recourse, no other way but to turn to God, Don't be afraid of it. Let it speak to each other as well. Peter's further exhortations make it clear that simply remorse or uh, feeling sorry about what you have done is not enough by itself to truly be spiritually well. You can regret the past while still wallowing in the past and experience no new spiritual life. Peter says, repent. Repentance involves not just feeling sorry, but involves a total change of heart and life from the past and turning to God. This is only possible because in spite of our sin, God worked through his son, raised him from the dead, and made him Lord and Savior for us. This good news invites us, it calls us, and moves us to trust in Jesus as our Savior and to follow him as our Lord. And then Peter says, be baptized. In this way, we receive God's forgiveness of our sins. Be cleansed totally, regardless of who you have been and what you have done. You who are stricken by guilt, the comfort of God's forgiveness is all that you need. Baptism isn't merely a rite of initiation into the church, nor merely a symbol of your faith in Jesus, as some people or some churches claim. If it was just that, that would have given no real comfort to Peter's hearers who were cut to the heart by that message of God's law that day. Rather, as God tells us in his word, through holy baptism, our sins are literally sent away, wiped away, never to haunt or condemn us that the people also received the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
who was already entering into their hearts through the preaching of God's word and creating faith in Jesus in their hearts. And now through the sacrament of holy baptism, the Holy Spirit was entering into them as a heavenly gift, putting the new believers into communion with God, into a right relationship with God. These are the promised gifts of God's new age. Resurrection, new life, the making of a new people through faith in Jesus. And these are gifts for everyone that God wants to be given to everyone. Just as repentance and believing and being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit are all inseparable, so God's giving is totally extended to us and to our children, to those in our midst here and to those in faraway places, to Jew and Gentile, non-Jew alike. And at that time, of course, Peter and the other apostles didn't yet realize just how big that job was to which they were being called, since the evangelism and the mission work that the God had called the church to was just beginning. Later they would realize, as according to uh, ancient and reliable history of the Christian church, all of the twelve apostles except one, the apostle John, were tortured and killed because of their faith in Jesus and their preaching of his word. That work that began 2,000 years ago continues today among us, hopefully with that same boldness in all of us to proclaim just as the Apostle Peter did, repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Holy Spirit freely given by God to us through Jesus our Savior. It's also clear that when God calls us to himself through Jesus, he also calls us into relationship with one another, to have a personal relationship with Christ, with fellow believers. We read that the, the approximately 3,000 believers who were baptized that Pentecost day were added to the existing number of about 120 believers. And we don't know much, the Bible doesn't tell us much about just how the apostles were able to, to wrap their, their, their minds and their arms around that uh, massively expanded church that they were responsible for ministering to in those early days. But we do see here in Acts chapter 2 six distinguishing aspects of the life of that early Christian church, of those believers. And we read that they continued to hold firmly to these six activities. And that is key for us to see. Holding firmly to a, a commitment, a devotion, a steadfastness, without which any church activity will eventually succeed. And so as I list these six things, think about your level of commitment to each one of them. First, to the apostles' teaching. That is, to hearing and studying the apostles' message, which later was written down and became the New Testament, showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of, of the Savior that God had made through the prophets in the Old Testament. To the fellowship, that's a new and special relationship among believers, a togetherness of faith, of caring and building one another up in the Lord, a shared bond between believers that was God's gift to them through faith in Jesus. Three, to the breaking of the bread. And this could refer both to their common fellowship meals, as we had a couple of weeks ago after our Easter worship service together, or also, and also, to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate frequently together as well. A true communion with God 
and with each other. Fourth, he was a prayer warrior. That is, his times of public worship and prayer together. And we read that those first believers in in Jesus, the first Christians, uh, did that publicly in the temple area, even in spite of of threat of persecution from the Jewish leaders who had uh, led the, the charge for Jesus to be crucified. And later on, they they continued worshiping together regularly in house churches as they met together uh, for worship and prayer together. Five, through sharing their possessions. They cared for widows, the orphans, the poor, and the disabled. And they supported the spread of the gospel both in their own home city and to other places throughout the world. Six, through witnessing personally sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. The proclamation of the gospel of this good news of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus is the basic feature of the new Christian church. And it's predominant throughout the book of Acts as we continue to read about the growth and the spread of the early Christian church. Without this personal sharing of the good news of Jesus with people in our lives around us, there will be no church and no growth of the church. Are these things what you and I are all about in our lives as Christians? Is this what we communicate clearly to each other and to visitors and prospects and acquaintances and new members? What we are and do means very often so much more than just what we say. God, who in his grace has called us into being a church, a family of believers through faith in Jesus as our Savior, God will, through these activities, bless our membership, bless us individually in our faith, and help us to grow together in faith as a church, as a family of believers. We see that as the first Christian church responded to God's call to be in a new relationship with Jesus and with fellow believers, we see that four special things occurred verses 46 and 47. First, we see they had glad and sincere hearts. And so we see that a a gloomy Christian really is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. Christians who know the love of God for us through Jesus, who know his forgiveness and salvation, we will be glad with sincere hearts, just as those early Christians were. And two, they continued praising God worship, not just here in church on Sunday, although this is an important part of that, but our whole lives of worship and thanks to God will be a witness that gives glory to God, a witness that he will use to build his church as we have opportunity to share with others the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Three, they were being viewed favorably by all the people. So we see that our church will become attractive and winsome as people in the community see their Christian neighbors, their co- Christian co-workers, their Christian relatives become new people through faith in Jesus and through his Holy Spirit working in their lives. And four, day after day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the cycle continues. Those who had been witnessed to become disciples who in turn witness to others make new disciples, who then witness still to more people. As our world often asks, what should we do? 
that they're searching questions about faith and, and spirituality and, and the meaning of life itself. They are clear answers from God's word about our own relationship to Jesus and about our own church membership draw people powerfully to their Lord and to his body of believers, the church. May we all, by his grace, have this response to the Easter message.